X-Ray. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. Let's talk about money. Oh My Dollar listener Brock writes in with this question. I've been contributing to a Roth IRA for nearly two years, but it just occurred to me that I might need to manage this account's investment strategy. I'm using Fidelity, and I'm below $5,000 saved to this account at this point. Have I been missing out on income potential, or do I need to wait until I have more banked up? I think it's all classified as short-term savings, which means it's not growing actively. I've been meaning to dig into my options, but haven't sat down with it yet. The website is helpful with some strategy advice, but I haven't been able to figure out how to allocate the invested assets yet. This is a really good question, and this is where a lot of people kind of get caught up. Um, I know a lot of people are like, okay, you told me to invest in a Roth IRA, and I did that, Um, but they don't actually have it invested. All they've done is kind of put their money there. Um, The first thing to know is that it does not matter how much money you have. If you've got $100 in your Roth or $5,000 in your Roth or $200,000 in your Roth IRA, it should be invested. The only reason that you would want to have something in short-term cash is if you were planning on actually pulling that out for short-term cash. And I never recommend pulling money out of your retirement as a saving strategy. If you're going to need something for like a house, don't put it in a Roth, don't put it in your 401k, save that money in something where you're not going to face a penalty if you pull it out early. So as a refresher, an IRA is an independent retirement account, right? And a Roth IRA is... A Roth IRA means that the money you put in is you've already paid taxes on it. So the reason that I recommend Roth IRAs is that they're a little more flexible if you do need to pull them out for a house or um, for educational expenses, you won't necessarily pay a a pre-penalty like you would on a traditional uh, IRA Mm -hmm. or a 401k. Um, But the main reason I recommend them is if you're a young person, it's very likely that what you're paying in taxes now is less than what you will pay on taxes in the future. And a Roth, you'll just pay the taxes just like you normally do on your paycheck. You know, you you make more money than you actually get in your paycheck, right? And mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. amount is taxes. Um, and then you can take some of that money and put it into a Roth. Once it's in a Roth, it grows tax-free. Uh, and this is a thing rich people have to worry about all the time, right, is these capital gains taxes and, like, you know, m- taxes on your investments. Um, you probably don't have to worry about that unless you're rich, and you definitely don't have to worry about it if you're invested in something like a Roth IRA, that you don't have to pay taxes on your gains. And you don't have to pay taxes when you pull it out once you hit retirement age. There's a couple exceptions to that. I don't want to get too into the nitty gritty about what all the various ways that you can pull money out of your Roth. I most... think I've got a while yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the most important thing to know is that it's uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you should be investing that money. Um, And there is rarely a minimum. As long as you set up a a monthly contribution to a Roth, usually most banks uh, and investment firms won't say, no, 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 you can't invest that money. You just have to sit it there as a checking account. You know, if you were going to invest it in cash, you instead of actually investing it in stocks, you might as well stick it on your mattress, right? Like it's just losing money over the long term as things get more expensive and we experience inflation. So it doesn't matter how much money you have, you should be investing it if it's in your retirement accounts. There's kind of two strategies to take when you're looking at investing. 
there's wealth building and wealth preservation. Do you have kind of an idea of which strategy you would choose? I would choose wealth building. I think I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you would need wealth to preserve it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so young people usually are looking at wealth building instead of wealth preservation. And the main thing is in determining which stage you're in is how close to retirement you are. So, you know, if you're young and you don't have a lot of assets, you're probably pretty far from retirement. Um, I happen to know that Brock is under the age of 40, so mm -hmm. he's firmly in the wealth building stage. Um, and so that means you need to be more aggressive with your portfolio. If you were in a wealth preserving stage, if you were really close to retirement, you would want more of your investments to be in really stable things because you wouldn't want to lose all of your money the year before retirement, right? We saw a lot of people that were heavily invested in stocks that were close to retirement age in the last recession lose a huge portion of their portfolios because they were still in a wealth building phase, even though they were close to retirement age. Okay. Does that make sense? Right. So, so they had their stocks in more volatile markets instead yeah. of something which would... Okay. Instead of having more bonds. Um, so there's two real things. There's a lot of different ways that you can invest out there, but I'm just going to focus on the two main components of a portfolio. Mm -hmm. Stocks and bonds. You've probably heard of those before. Mm -hmm. um, Brock is young. He's in his wealth building stage. So he's going to focus in on adding more stocks to his portfolio. And that's because stocks generate a much greater return um, than bonds. Bonds are meant to be stable. Stocks are meant to grow. Um, now, I want you to understand when I say stocks, I don't mean that Brock should go out and research and find companies and then buy a bunch of individual stocks. I never, ever recommend that the average investor buy single stocks of anything, no matter how much you love Quaker Oats and wants to buy lots of them. Why is that? That's because individual stocks are very volatile. There's a lot of things that can influence whether or not a company can uh, succeed, right? And there's you're not going to know them. You see this. So, you know, you might think, oh, I'm way too smart to, like, go out and just buy one stock. Like, I know not to do that. But what a lot of people get caught up in is that their 401ks at their company have profit sharing and they get stocks in that company. And before they know it, their entire portfolio is invested in the company they work for. I would never, ever, ever recommend doing that. Hmm. If you have some stock options, it's okay to, you know, exercise those stock options in your own company for a little while, but you also want to be building a diverse portfolio outside of your own company stocks. You know, this is how we watch people with like Exxon stock that work there just completely destroy their portfolios and have to start over from zero. You see these, you know, with big companies, companies that you think are really stable, like, like Procter & Gamble. You might have political reasons you don't love them, but people think of them as sort of like, okay, they're diversified. They've got a lot of different products. Buying Procter & Gamble stock means, you know, it's relatively low risk. Okay. But but Procter & Gamble, there could be any number of things that could make them tank at any point, right? Their headquarters is in Cincinnati. Cincinnati could get hit by an, like a, you know, a freaking flood because their <laughs> river is caught on fire. There's plenty of reasons why Procter & Gamble, a single company, could experience something bad. Um, and that's why you don't, as an individual, want to put all of your investing eggs in one basket. Sure, you've heard that phrase before. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You want to spread them out into a ton of different baskets. And that means lots of different stocks. And there's really another thing you should know about that basket. Don't put all your eggs in one basket 
and don't screw with the basket. <laughs> JL Collins, who's one of my favorite investing educators, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to his stock series, which I think is a very witty way to learn about this stuff if you want to dive in deeper. He said, the great irony of investing is the more you watch and fiddle with your holdings, the less well you are likely to do. And so once you fill that Roth IRA basket with a bunch of stocks, a small percentage of bonds in order to balance it, you're going to add to it as you go along and you're going to ignore it the rest of the time. This is how you get rich with the minimum effort required, right? Let's be lazy with our investing and let's just let other people do the work. All of our little dollars go out and do the work for us. When people freak out and they pull their money out because they watch things tank because, you know, we elected a crazy person, mm -hmm. then that's when they lose money. You're in this for the long term. So you're not going to screw with the baskets. Okay. So what are the egg baskets is the question. <laughs> I recommend putting your egg, your stock eggs. <laughs> your stock eggs, okay. Uh, in a total market index fund. Something with a low expense ratio. Expense ratios is essentially what it costs for someone else to do the work to invest your money. So um, most people are used to the term mutual fund. Mm -hmm. And usually mutual funds in the past have been managed, which means a human sits there, does the research, and tries to determine which stocks to buy for you. Anytime a human touches your money, they take a little away. Yeah. <laughs> um, so an expense ratio, if it's low, means that they take a really small percentage of that, which means over time, the wonders of compound interest and investing means that your money grows greater if they take less of it. If they have a high expense ratio, then you'll have less money at the end of this. This can make hundreds of thousands of dollars of difference over your lifetime if you've got a high expense ratio versus a low expense ratio. So the goal is to have as few humans as possible touch your money. <laughs> the less humans you have, the more automated it is, the more likely that you'll have a low expense ratio. So if the phrase total market index fund with low expense ratio is super scary, uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. Okay, great. So you might know that when you own stock, you own a piece of the business, right? You, the idea is they're shareholders and they all have a slip of paper that says, I own one millionth of the Quaker Oats company. The act of investing in an index fund is a little bit like tearing the index sheet out of the back of an encyclopedia. You get a tiny glimpse of everything, but you don't actually get details on anything. Just like the index of a book, an index fund contains an overview of everything. You get bad stocks, you get good stocks, but you get one single line of everything rather than one page in depth on something if you were to tear out from the middle of the book. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so when you own an index fund, you own a tiny sliver of every publicly traded business in the United States. And the reason we want to do that is because we're not betting on an individual, you know, you don't have the right information to make bets on individual companies. We want to put our eggs in lots of baskets. And the really great part about them is that we don't have to stress about whether or not we made the right choice in our stock picks. You know, we don't have to spend all of our time pouring over the, you know, investing section of the Wall Street Journal in the morning. We're not choosing horses at a race. We just bet on every single horse in the race. Okay. So, <laughs> we, so, it's, so, it's, so it's like we got the chef's tasting menu. Exactly. Yeah. So essentially you say we're not going to win a ton because we've bet on every horse, but we're going to win a little bit. We're going to come out ahead regardless because we've bet on every single horse. I'm not sure if that's how horse racing works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this would probably be a bad strategy at a horse ra race, but it's a great strategy with your investment portfolio. It's not, it's not only the safest wealth building investment strategy, it's also the easiest. You don't need to stress. 
I used to think that picking stocks was what investing was before I like learned about this stuff. I, I thought that like investing was going and sitting and doing research on the dossiers of individual companies. It turns out that investing can be as simple and as easy of finding a total stock market index fund and clicking buy and putting a percentage of your portfolio in that. It's that easy. Now, what, what kind of return would one expect to see on a... Some people give somewhat exaggerated returns. What mm-hmm. I like to say is 8% after inflation is what the market usually returns on a whole. And so that's better, that's better than it's making sitting in my savings account. A lot better than it's making sitting in your checking and savings account. And, you know, right now the stock market is actually doing ridiculously well. I don't know if you've heard about that. Um, uh, some of it is some confidence about um, how large companies are going to do under Trump. So that's part of the reason the stock market is doing well. So we think it's not super important that you track this stuff year to year. You're in this for the long term, though, right? And in the long term, Over time, we've seen generally the total stock market after inflation returns about 8%. So your checking fund, you probably have got like, you know, 0.025% interest on it or something like that right now. You know, I remember the early 90s, we were getting like 6% on our checking account. That's great. But inflation was really high. Um, Right now, inflation is relatively low, which means that, you know, the groceries you bought last year are about the same price right now. They Mm -hmm. might be slightly higher. But so usually when the economy is doing really well, inflation goes up. Um, And so you always want to look for returns after inflation if you're looking long term. So your checking account is actually losing money after inflation because inflation right now is running around 1%. If you're returning point two five percent on your checking account you're actually losing 0.75 percent okay i hadn't thought about it that way before but that doesn't mean it's bad to have money in your checking account just to be clear right like that money is there for a reason Mm -hmm. you're using it for short-term expenses the money in your roth ira the money in brock's roth ira that's there for the future and so you want to invest it in a way where it is definitely beating inflation and it's growing over the long term. You don't want to do that with your checking account. You're you're going to pay your rent next month with that, yeah, right? I hope so. Uh, <laughs> it would be really bad if you took the money in your checking account that you're planning on paying for rent and groceries with and then went and stuck it in a Roth IRA and then the market tanked tomorrow. Not a huge deal if you went and did that with something that you're planning on taking out in 30 years because the market will recover. We're essentially, the the other really nice thing about this is like companies fail. Companies fail all the time, right? But the market never gets to zero. If it got to zero, we would probably all be dead. Even, even in economies where things are doing terribly, the market doesn't get to zero. By putting all of our Roth IRA eggs in many, many baskets using the index fund, we actually don't have to worry about which can, companies succeed and fail because we get the whole market. It's essentially self-regulating. The failures fall away and the winners grow and your stocks grow overall. So that's why I recommend doing that. One of the concerns that some people have is that they don't want to be entirely in United States stocks, which makes sense. You don't want your fortunes to be completely resting on one country. The reason I don't tell people to stress too much about that is it's harder to find international funds, I feel like, that have low expense ratios that also have a good mix of developing economies versus developed economies. Also, most major U.S. companies have very large international markets. So if you buy a piece of all the top 500 companies in the U.S., you are going to get large pieces of international trade in there. Almost none of those companies don't do business over abroad. 
that's an easy way to do it. And I think if you've been putting off for five years investing in your portfolio, let's choose the easiest path possible. So I say just go for the total market index fund. Okay. So does the concept of index funds make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like you said, lots of baskets for your many eggs. Yeah. And, you know, some people that are really politically active are very dedicated to trying to find socially responsible funds. Mm -hmm. And they really want to make sure that they're not investing in funds that support things that they don't like. Like the, you know, if they're really opposed to pipelines, they don't want to invest in companies that are doing business with pipelines. They maybe don't want to invest in tobacco. They don't want to invest in alcohol, whatever their sort of thing that they want to make sure they're not investing in. The reason I don't necessarily recommend going after socially responsible funds is they all tend to have very, very high expense ratios. And what ends up happening is you end up reducing the amount of baskets that your eggs go in. What I like is if the moral arc of the universe prevails and things like tobacco companies selling to children stop mm -hmm. and, you know, the pipeline gets overturned, you you're if you've got a total stock market index fund, you are going to be fine because it's self-cleansing and self-regulating and you are going to make a lot more money over over the long term because you're not paying those high expense ratios. I'm sure. not opposed to socially responsible investing. I just haven't yet ha found a fund that doesn't involve active management. Um, and active management means a human is in charge of it. And as soon as a human touches your money, they take more of it away. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's also can be hard to find a broad, a broad socially responsible fund that invests in a huge number of of things without also while also fitting 100% of your values, right? So I feel like if you're going to do socially responsible investing, you should probably try to aim towards fitting your values as perfectly as possible. But a lot of those funds are um, run by very conservative religious groups. And so maybe it doesn't perfectly meet your values that they don't invest in companies that do things that you support. Um, you know, a, a lot of them will refuse to invest in healthcare companies if those healthcare companies provide uh, abortions to women. And and oh. so you might be on the other side of that political spectrum, but like everything else they do. And I just think that to reduce the complexity, it's easier to just go with a total stock market index fund. But I would love to have a socially responsible investment fund that has an incredibly low expense ratio that perfectly meets my values. And if someone comes up with one of those, I will gladly talk about them on the show. Yeah, email us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you think you've got the great, you know, the, the fund of magic. So, okay. So now we've I've got you sold on index funds, yep. right? Yep. So you're sold on that. But it's still confusing. Like, what? how do you find an index yeah, fund? Yeah, we're, like, like, literally, what, how do I, do you just do I go to the index store? Fund? Yeah, exactly. Um, so the easy way to do it is to log into whatever your provider is for your investments. So um, Brock said that he's with Fidelity. You know, you can, you can choose to put your investments, your IRA investments, wherever you like. You probably have a provider, if you have a work-based uh, plan like a 403B or a 401k, you probably don't have a choice. You, you have to use whatever your company uses. But what you do have a choice is about how it's invested within that portfolio. You may have hundreds of options of different kinds of funds if you use a really big provider. If you use a smaller provider like Ubiquity or Fidelity, you probably only maybe have 20 different types of funds that you can choose from. So... What I want you to do is first look for something like a Vanguard. I've recommended Vanguard on the show before. They don't pay me 
They're not a sponsor. Uh, the reason I like them is they're essentially the credit union version of an investment bank. There are no, um, there is no wealthy board that's making money off of that. Every person that owns a fund in there is part of a shareholder. So it's kind hmm. of like a co-op model. And that's why I recommend Vanguard. They also have incredibly low expense ratio funds. Fidelity, I am not sure of your portfolio if you have access to Vanguard funds. But what you want to do is look for something that says something like total stock market index fund. It will usually have a description of what it is invested in. What you want to stay away from is something that says large cap, small cap. Those are terms that mean that you're picking a particular type of company, which means that you're like only focusing on uh, really big companies or you're oh, okay. focusing on a certain type of, um, you know, or companies that have a very large percentage of the market. What you want is a total market index fund. If you can't find one of those, which is possible that you can't, look for something that is a index fund of the S&P 500, which means you'll get the 500 largest companies in, in the United States. I prefer total stock market index funds, so you scoop up a lot of different companies, but 500 is pretty diversified, so it's pretty right. okay. So look for that. There'll be a five-character um, five symbol. So um, an example would be VTSAX, so uh, V-T-S-A-X. Um, that's a Vanguard uh, total stock market index fund. Um, what you can do to find out what the expense ratio on that, if it's not, sometimes it's actually shown in your um, portfolio in management, like when you log on to your Roth IRA, sometimes you can actually see the expense ratio. If not, all you have to do is Google that five character letters so VTSAX followed by the words expense ratio. And it should pop up right at the top of your screen. If you can't find it there, check Yahoo Finance. I found it. It's 0.16%. Yes. So that seems pretty low. That is incredibly low. So what you are aiming for is less than a 0.1% expense ratio. Um, if you get into managed funds, a lot of them have things that are closer to 02 0.3%. Um, you can get really high. Just avoid everything above that. What what we're aiming for is something less than a 0.1% expense ratio is incredibly good. Most of those Vanguard funds or things that are robo-managed, as it's called, which means that robots are doing the investing, not humans, those tend to have expense ratios that are less than that 0.1%. If you've Googled the expense ratio for every fund available to you and you can't find anything below that 0.1%, it's better to make an investment than not make an investment because you're concerned about how much percent of the investment someone's going to take. Sometimes you have limited fund choices in your 401k or your Roth and, you know, that's okay. Just choose what you can. Go for those index funds though. The question is like, okay, now what percentage of your portfolio should be invested in these stocks? A very common rule of thumb is that you take your age and you subtract it from 100 and that's the percentage that you should have in stocks. There's there's different theories about how much you should have of your portfolio in stocks versus bonds. So let's discuss bonds really quickly so that we understand what those are. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea what a bond is? Uh, I think so. I think it's something the government sells that matures at a specific rate. That is correct. So sometimes that's a federal government, but you also pass things like school bonds. And there is any number of bonds out there. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be the government that sells bonds, but what bonds have is a guaranteed rate of return. 
the rate of return is much lower than what you're going to get from stocks. There's exceptions when really risky comp uh, countries sell bonds. Sometimes they can return insane rates, but that's because they have a high risk of failure. Mm -hmm. So like, essentially, it's like your credit score, right? You know how you pay a higher, higher interest rate on things if you have a bad credit score? That's because you're a high risk. And so you're expected to pay a higher percentage because there's a larger chance that you're going to default on your loans or, you know, whatever it is. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so countries and companies do the same thing. America is very stable. We always pay our stuff back, although Congress has been throwing a lot of hissy fits and pretending like they're not going to pay our stuff back. This is the whole debt ceiling argument. We're not going to get into that policy. It's very deep. But the most important thing to know about bonds is that as long as you invest in a, a bunch of slices of bonds, just like you do with stocks, it will return stable income for your portfolio. And the reason you want to do bonds is essentially to hedge your bets a little bit, right? Like an 100% stock portfolio is considered very aggressive. An example of a bond index fund would some, be something like VBTLX, uh, which is a Vanguard total bond market index fund. Um, oh, so it's buying a little bit of every bond available on the market. Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. um, and the reason you want bonds is they provide income to your portfolio. Like, you know how much return you're going to get from them. And they also tend to, to smooth out the really rough ride that happens in stocks. So mm. if you're always in stocks and you're very anxious, I would recommend just not checking your IRA terribly often. And the reason is because every time the market tanks, you're going to freak out. And you're going to be really stressed out. Mm -hmm. And having a percentage of bonds in there will help kind of smooth that up and down that happens with stocks. You know, in the short term, the market is really volatile. Someone sneezes wrong at the podium at the White House and then the market tanks for a couple days. And then it climbs back up because new regulations were, you know, repealed or something like that. The, the stocks are very volatile. Bonds, part of the reason they return a lower rate is because they're very stable. Um, they also help you hedge against deflation. We don't have to get terribly into what deflation versus inflation is, but what you should know is generally when the economy is doing really well, there's lots of inflation. So if you're doing great, all your friends have jobs, it's not like a couple years ago where you were really jealous of the one friend who had a job, you know, yep. <laughs> selling coffee. Uh, when the economy is doing really well and companies are doing really well, uh, the amount that you can buy with your dollar goes down. And that's because we have inflation. So the groceries you bought a year ago are now much more expensive than they were a year ago. So if you've got deflation in your portfolio, that usually means the economy is not doing as well. So those stocks are, you're really stressed out because the stocks aren't doing super well and the economy is deflating a little bit. If you've got a bond in there, it's got a guaranteed rate of return. And that means that you are going to have a set hedge against deflation. Okay, Does no, that, that, make, that, that makes sense. Um, but you wouldn't want to do an 100% bond portfolio. Do you why know why? Uh, no, why wouldn't you? Okay, so it's like, oh, but they guarantee income and they're a hedge against deflation. If the economy is doing really well and you're 100% invested in bonds, you're going to lose out on a ton of opportunity to make money, right? Because bonds return a relatively low amount. It's just the same as if you put all of your money in your checking account and didn't do any investing in it. If the economy is doing really, really well and there's inflation, you're just losing money. Oh, okay. So you want to mix, right? Mm -hmm. This is all this all comes down to the diversification. If you're in the wealth building stage, if you're young, if you're far from retirement, you really want to have a lot more in stocks than you have in bonds because you're not going to get that wealth building, right? Right, right. You can afford to take take more financial risks. Yeah, because it smooths over the long term. You know, as long as you don't freak out and pull you all your money out, you're going to mm -hmm. be okay. Um so usually the 
ratio that I recommend is about 20% for young people is about 20% of your portfolio in bonds and the balance in stocks. Um, this isn't a perfect number. You can wiggle around with it if you want. Some people really want to have some international in there. So if you can find an international total market index fund of some sort, then you can do, you know, 17% in bonds and then 6% in some sort of uh, international market funds could either be bonds or stocks. And then the balance can be in U.S. stocks. Um, you know, the goal here, diversify, set it up and then forget about it. That's all you really need to do with your Roth. Um, but with Brock, right, yeah. he's, he's been sitting on that and it's, it's short term and it's just sitting in short term investing. It's essentially the same as having money in a checking account right now. If you've just got it in there for short term oh. withdrawal, it's essentially just a checking account you can't access, which is why he needs to be investing in something like stocks and bonds. The economy is doing really well. If five years ago he had been investing, let's say he had $1,000 five years ago in that Roth IRA and he had actually invested it in stocks, it'd probably be worth a lot more now than the 5000 is worth right now. Great. Well, that wraps our show for today. Our producer is Will Romy. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. And I'm Lillian Kerbake, your personal finance educator and host. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. Next week, we have a special guest on Oh My Dollar. We'll be talking about how John has spent his entire career since dropping out of college as a working performing artist and made a living doing so without starving or getting famous. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.